And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the MarTech Podcast, hosted by Benjamin Shapiro. Each week, the MarTech Podcast tells stories of world-class marketers who use technology to create lasting success with their business and their careers. If you like any of these topics, you're going to like the MarTech Podcast how science is changing advertising, how to set up a CRM so you actually use it, private equities take on digital transformation, why big social is focused on newsletters. If these are topics that resonate with you, go check out the MarTech podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can also go listen at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Hey everyone, just take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Longshot Leaders. It's a podcast that reached out to me that I just started listening to because I absolutely love them. It's hosted by my good friend, Michael Stein. It's edgy. It's different. He interviews absolutely everyone under the sun and speaks through their journey, unpacks the biggest obstacles they've had to overcome to find success in whatever it is they've done in their life. So he interviews Academy Award winners, ex-cons, Holocaust survivors, sports heroes, you name it, he interviews them. And he himself also has a really interesting background. So Michael Stein's a host. He's an entrepreneur, writer, actor, filmmaker. He's also a stand-up comedian. So he kind of puts that all into the interview. And then he gets into the how, the why, the secrets of why people do what they do. It's really cool. I actually love the show. He reached out to sponsor, but I don't take any sponsorships, especially for podcasts, unless I actually like them and listen to them myself. So I listen to it. Highly recommend you check it out. That is Long Shot Leaders with Michael Stein. Today, my guest is Kelsey Marrera. She is the founder and CEO of Dope, an edible cookie dough company that is growing at 295% year over year. She was at Intel. She left. She was selling cookie dough uh, at San Francisco's Pier 39 and inside Oracle Park. She then moved to the Las Vegas Strip. Uh, She raised some capital, $1.6 million. She had to pivot to e-commerce and direct to consumer because of COVID. She expects to close $2.7 million in sales by the end of this year on track to do $5 million. She was a Forbes 30 under 30. She was a Vegas 40 under 40. She was also featured on Shark Tank. And on top of that, she struggled to overcome substance abuse issues, which is now part of who she is and what she what she basically evangelizes within her company. So we spoke about entrepreneurial lessons. We spoke about her Shark Tank experience. Uh, we spoke about transitioning from brick and mortar to e-commerce. We also spoke about some addiction issues that are not discussed enough in startup culture. So how Kelsey created a startup culture without any sort of drinking or mind-altering substances. How to permeate your values as a founder into the company culture so that it actually means something. And then, of course, there's some just straight business lessons in here as well, which are pivoting from retail into online, how she transitioned 100% online during COVID and sales skyrocketed, things that a lot of companies have struggled with. So let's jump right into this. This is Kelsey Marrera, founder and CEO of Dope. How much time do we have? No, I'm just kidding. I love this question, like origin story. I feel like I'm in like an X-Men, like how did I become (laughs) Kelsey Morena's morphing story? But uh, in all seriousness, yeah, it is kind of a wild story and it does start a bit back. Um, You know, I was born in Dallas, raised in Northern California, have a family that just like loves food. Uh, All the women in my life always love to bake and to cook. So as a child, did spend a lot of time in the kitchen uh, eating along the baking journey (laughs) and then also learning a 
lot about, you know, baking from them as, as a child. But when I got into grade school, I really like threw the pressure on myself. My parents had gotten divorced um, when I was six. And I think I just wanted to make them proud, wanted to get that approval and, and very self-fueled, wanted to be the best at anything I did. And that caused a ton of anxiety for me, perfectionism issues, and it would turn into workaholism issues from there, um, really fueled by that desire to just be all on all the time and uh, be performing at the highest level. When I was 16 years old, I got this opportunity to work at Intel. And so I was jumping from, you know, being a kid to being an adult really quick. And this corporate life. I mean, I was leaving high school at like 1030 in the morning to go to Intel and work with people who were, you know, 30, 40 years my senior in some cases. Uh, amazing for the uh, experience side of getting to learn from these amazing individuals and see people making strategic decisions at those levels and whatnot as I would go through what would become a 10-year career at Intel from that point. Uh, but it was very hard on my mental health and I wasn't doing the things I needed to do to keep myself grounded, to work through childhood traumas and issues that I had um, and really be able to live a more full life. And I was leaning on alcohol through that time to to deal and to cope. And alcohol was sort of this quiet for me. I drank for the first time when I was 14 and drank till I blacked out. And I remember feeling, you know, though I was hung over the next morning, it was a uh, a feeling of just peace, like quiet in my brain. You know, I didn't have to be on. I could just pretend to be like everybody else, carefree and relaxed and having fun and trying to fit in. And that really just escalated over the um, the next years of my life as I would go through college and, and beyond, never really able to get a hold of my drinking. I was um, not just the once in a blue moon uh, problem causer. It was you know, pretty reliably, if I was going to drink, I would always drink to excess and had a really hard time stopping myself. Um, and it was difficult because everything else seemed so okay in my life to say that it was a problem. You know, society really has it so coded that, you know, it's just, oh, it's fine. You know, it's just whatever. It's happened a few times here and there. And really only you and those super close to you, uh, you know, boyfriend at the time, for example, who was just getting battered with four years of all these uh, alcohol issues from me. Um, other people on the outside, think, well, you don't have a problem, you know, look at your great job and look at the grades you've been getting. And um, it was very tough for me to come to terms with it. But in, in late 2015, September 14th, 2015, to be exact, I had my last hurrah and got sober, um, decided that enough was enough, that I really wanted to be the Kelsey I knew I had to offer to the world. And that was being clouded by alcohol. Um, so my choice to get sober really changed my life, opened up everything that I am and have today. And uh, namely getting back in the kitchen was one of kind of the first big changes. I started to bake again and really figure out like, who is Kelsey? Like, what do I like to do? You know, there's so much free time when you're not hung over or drinking all the time. And, uh, I was like, yeah, baking like crazy nights and weekends from work and bringing in those baked goods into the office and getting enough nudges of like, you should sell this, you know, that I kind of got that light bulb of like, Oh, like Shark Tank? You know, I was like, I literally only had Shark Tank as an example of entrepreneurship back then. I don't have any entrepreneurs in my family. And I just sort of had that inkling of like, maybe I could make something that would be mine, you know, something of my own that I could create. And I love making baked goods for people, baked or unbaked in my case today with cookie dough. Um, but I just love giving something that I've created to someone else and watching them take a bite of it and light up. You know, you really can change someone's mood with a sweet treat and just that moment that they take for themselves to have something sweet uh, or share it with another person and, and what goes on over that. Um, just really an exciting moment for me to think about creating something of my own. But creating something of your own and 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 basically, you know, putting something out into the world that eventually turns into a business. That's a that's a, a big jump from Intel. And that's that, you know, I know a lot of people that mm -hmm. do get these career moments and then they do pivot into entrepreneurship and they just don't make it because they think that, oh, you know, I, I have big company experience. I'm sure I'll be good. But then yeah. they actually go into it and then it's difficult. But even just walk me through the mindset. So what what gave you the courage? What gave you the what gave you even the courage to stop drinking when there was nothing negative going on in your life? Because that's a that's a pressure situation, especially if it was a social thing. But then also, mm -hmm. what gave you the courage to jump from Intel? How do you like manifest this and bring this forward in your in your in the you know the ideas and the decisions you make? Yeah, two big um, big jumps in my life. You know, the choice to say like enough's enough. I gotta get sober. And I think um, though everything is put together and perfect on the outside, seemingly right. 
you always know, you know, the individual knows how their relationship is with alcohol. And like I mentioned, those close to me who had gone through the ordeals, uh, you know, right alongside and and my poor parents, like through college and, and beyond constantly being like, okay, like, let's see what the phone call is from Kelsey this weekend, you know, or if she's using a, someone else's phone because she lost hers. But, you know, mm-hmm. is she hospitalized again? I got hospitalized twice for overconsumption of alcohol, um, you know, carried out of a party on a stretcher because I was blacked out. Uh, I'm, a, you know, five foot two, 120, pretty much was all through my college career as well. And like, that um you just can't take the levels i was drinking at at that size so those things happen and getting tickets for minor consumption drinking um i lied to a police officer i told him information from a fake id so got false reporting to law enforcement um these little you know tickets and and issues throughout the time and and then the way i would treat those close to me you know when i was drinking um just weren't a reflection of who i wanted to be the final hurrah of coming to the t- decision to get sober sober i'd gotten sober for four months when I was 21, this idea of like a reset. I was like, maybe if I just stop drinking for a few months, I'll be okay. You know, and it, it's really, you know, this is the the joy of alcoholism. You just are trying however you can to navigate a path that lets alcohol stay in your life. Uh, Cause you just don't want to believe that you're going to have to be different. You're going to have to be the one that doesn't drink. And you know, why is this happening to me? So after that failed attempt, and then now I'm 24 at the time, uh, feeling like, you know, it's been about six months since the last episode, if you will, of ac- acting out drinking. And then I'm going on a business trip to Barcelona. And uh, from the moment I got off the plane, basically, you know, I, I got to the hotel and and they gave me a half bottle of wine as like the welcome gift, you know, so I started drinking at like 1030 in the morning and on it went and I came to at 330 in the morning in a stranger's apartment. I had cheated on, you know, my boyfriend of four years and had to have that phone call the next morning to explain all these things that I was just horrified by and couldn't even had to pick the pieces together to even remember what had happened. And, um, yeah, just feeling this absolute utter moment of clarity of like, I never want to feel this way again. I'd had so many mornings apologizing for stuff I barely remembered. And now here I am, you know, where I should be in my, I'm in this career. It's been already nine years at this time, I believe, uh, nine years with Intel and feeling like I should be in this new phase of life. And this is happening, you know, still, I'm still having all these issues. I just said enough's enough, you know, alcohol is just not worth it. And I found an English speaking AA meeting in Barcelona that morning and I'll be six Mm -hmm. years sober this September. So the recovery one is many chips away at the iceberg. You know, you're like this stiff thing. That's just like, I don't want to accept there's a problem. I want to find another way. You're just like holding on tight and it's like enough little chips away of of these nights of these incidents of of letting down people i loved of letting myself down that finally you know enough was enough and i i broke into saying i got to make a change so that's the recovery jump the intel jump is a another story on um you know having that decision to say my happiness and joy was worth the pursuit of that risk, you know, was worth the jump to see what, what could happen. I honestly, as the idea started to grow with fur dope in my head, I started to think the bigger risk was like, what if I didn't do it? How sad and upset would I be if I saw someone else, you know, down the road, uh, trying this idea that I have and, and me not having done it. Um, and always wondering what if, and, the corporate life, though, it has its cushions, you know, there's all these nice cushy things around uh, the organization, the structure and the support that you have. I always moved like a bit too fast. You know, I always felt like I was running like at a speed 10 on the treadmill and Intel was like at a four, you know, it's just is a slower pace of things to get stuff done or people many layers above you making decisions that your program is cut. You know, the, the budget that was for this thing you've been working on, pouring your heart and soul into yeah, it's not going to happen anymore. We're moving this way. And you're like, what? Like my child, you know, I just wanted, I thought what a cool chance to have the ownership over if it works or not, at least it's going to be on me. Um, and that was, that was worth taking the leap. So February of 17, I got the idea. April 20th, 2017 was the first day of my sabbatical with Intel. And that was the launch for dope. That was my first day selling dope cookie dough. And, uh, made a hundred pounds of dough at a commercial kitchen in Oakland, carted it over to San Francisco and went to Dolores Park, set up this cart I'd had built for like 500 bucks. And we sold out in three hours. And I was like, oh shit, people really like cookie dough. <laughs> this is going to be a thing. <laughs> Let's go, you know? And so you, you, when you take a sabbatical from Intel, is that cutting your paycheck day one? 
Uh, no, you no more 10 paid. weeks paid. Okay. Yeah. So 10 weeks paid. And usually okay. people travel, right? I actually had a like backpacking trip through Southeast Asia that I was going to go on, um, of which my dad was super freaked out about. But then when I told him that I was going to start this cookie dough company and potentially quit my job, he was like, what about the backpacking? You know, maybe we should just do that. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, those thoughts crossed his mind. He was a little, a little nervous about this, uh, this concept I had, but the 10 weeks was a gift, you know, to be able to say, with a safety blanket of sorts, you know, mm-hmm. that I could go back, you know, if it really didn't work. But at the end of the 10 weeks, I was like, I couldn't even come in to turn in my laptop because I had two events in San Francisco that day. I was like, I'm going to have to come down to Santa Clara on Monday. Um, you know, this uh, this thing is is really happening and I'm going to pursue it. So my manager at the time was super supportive and um, and all that. So I definitely felt like uh, they got to watch me spread my wings and, you know, it's been fun. I came Amazing. back to speak it until, uh, earlier this year and, and share my journey, which was really cool. Full circle. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and the first iteration of dope, was it, uh, it was obviously brick and mortar or was it, you were selling at like events, trade shows. What yeah. was that first step? Like first step of dope was like, I will literally sell dope wherever I can, <laughs> wherever anyone will meet me to buy some, I'm there. So very first thing was we got into a food park in San Francisco. And so setting up a tent and table seven days a week, um, you know, I wrote them with this idea just after the Dolores Park day said, you know, hello, I'm Kelsey. I have this cookie dough company, like you're know, always sort of acting like a few steps bigger than you really are. And I'd love to sell at Spark Social. And they wrote back within two hours and were like, oh my God, we love cookie dough. What a cool idea. When can you start? And I was like, okay, how to get, you know, food permit yeah. for <laughs> like trying to figure all of that out, like as quick as I could. I'm like, I'll be there in two weeks. So um, yeah, I got everything I needed together in those two weeks to start there. And meanwhile, catering, uh, tons of corporate catering, you know, anywhere I could get in for an office happy hour, a birthday celebration, um, Uber, Lyft, LinkedIn, Google, like all these awesome companies are there in the Bay and, and got that opportunity to, um, yeah, go up and down San Francisco Bay area and, uh, spread some cookie dough joy to those offices. And, in about like four months, five months from starting the company, um, got my first opportunity for a physical location. And this was just prior to our Pier 39 storefront that we opened in um, the very start of uh, 2019. I'm sorry, 2018. But it was a, yeah, this kiosk was going to be my two-year sobriety anniversary was the grand opening for it. So this is the interweaving of like my journey into sobriety and my um, decision to bring that into dope. I uh, put on the Facebook event. If you come up and say it's dope to be sober, you'll get 20% off, um, you know, come to <laughs> dope's it. first, first location. And the line was like, for one, just like around the block. I've never been so happy filming this like video of like everybody cheering around waiting to get in a, at the opening. And uh, the response that we got from the mention of sobriety and, and me saying, you know, it's my two year sober birthday, come celebrate at this grand opening, people asking for advice, you know, saying they're a few weeks sober. Uh, do I know of any good meetings in the city or sharing that they were many years sober and um yeah and and saying that they hadn't told anyone publicly like this so it was cool to see me sharing it and i just had this like light bulb like wow if like these kind of conversations are happening in these dms how many more people out there are wanting to talk about it are curious about getting sober are thinking about their own relationship with alcohol are feeling like there's no way i could get sober in my mid-20s what a chance for me to share what my journey has been like and the joys that have come from this decision uh uh, yeah. And this, this new way of life, um, and just make it a bigger conversation. So I started the dope for hope initiative with the company and that really has become at the center of everything we do to try and raise awareness and break the stigma around mental health and addiction recovery. I want to, I want to, while we're speaking about it, let's, let's speak on that and then we can continue your story because I think it's relevant because that, that dope for hope and that, that, that mindset of supporting individuals that are having these issues, of course, alcohol is one. There's other addictions. There's especially in startup space. I'm sure there's enough people that have mental health issues, overworking, um, even like during the pandemic, just people being always on, always working. Like there's a ton of things that are really eating away at people. So what is what is dope for hope? What is it trying to accomplish? Um, how is it accomplishing it? And what are some of the what are some of the ways that you feel that people can take better care of themselves um, when they're overworked or turning to substances? Yeah. Or before they get to those stages even, right? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of how could we help people recognize that 
this is for everybody. You know, before the pandemic, I used to have some people say like, oh, it's really nice what you guys are doing for people with mental illness. And I was like, yes, but it's actually for everybody. You know, like mental health, I think through the pandemic has become really an understanding for everyone that like we all have this responsibility to work on our mental health and to try and keep ourselves balanced and in that state so that we don't fall into, you know, substance use so that we don't fall into uh, overeating or undereating or, uh, you know, even there's all these things that people use to distract from the feelings, right? Like uh, trash television or uh, dropping yourself into uh, sex addictions, love addictions, like there's so workaholism even, um, just anything to not have to sit and feel and think about how you're feeling and be touched, uh, you know, in touch with that. So mental health is, is really at the core for me of like getting everybody to think about it. And for those in recovery, this other hand here is like, um, those in or seeking recovery, how can they feel more supported? So dope for hope coming to life, uh, at my business and, and what, I mean, I feel like it's like dope is ours now. This like community concept, right? Like what is it doing for everybody is uh, one straight for the community through Mental Health Mondays. So we post information, stats, and a little dose of hope on a Monday morning through our social. Uh, we also send that out through our email list, um, dedicating for mental health tips, sobriety tips, like how to go to your first party sober, um, really keeping it as like a content engine for us as well to be sure. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Feedback Loop. Now, if you're a product person, entrepreneur, startup guy like me, you have at some point in your career tried to take a product to market, you've tried to come up with a new idea, and it's fell flat. It's ultimately failed. 85 to 90% of all new products, of all new startup ideas fail. Why is this? Basically, it is really hard, really expensive, and really time-consuming to validate product market fit with your potential consumers or customers. Old-style market research is way too slow, too complicated, too time-consuming for dynamic, fast-moving teams that want to build great stuff. But what if you could test out your idea, your product, with your target consumers whenever you want before you invest in the money, time, energy, effort that it takes to actually develop a product? Well, that's what startups all the way through to Fortune 500s are using Feedback Loop for. You get quality feedback from your target customers early and often. Feedback Loop is the test before you invest product research platform. It has built-in expert templates for concept testing, user discovery, prioritizing features on your roadmap, and much more. You can create your own test in minutes and get quality insights from your target consumers in hours. They set up a special link for everybody who's a Success Story podcast listener to test it out to try it. Go to go.feedbackloop.com success. You get three free tests. That's go.feedbackloop.com slash success. You can try it out for free. You get three free tests. So if you want your next product, idea, or feature to be a hit, test before you invest, build based on data, not opinion, and launch with confidence with Feedback Loop. Check it out right now. Resources and, and info on this. The next is for inside the company. So there's so much out there. Everybody knows about B Corp and whatnot. And it's like, um, it's amazing. What are you doing out for the rest of the world? But I often ask, like, how are those employees? Like, how is it inside that company? And that's really, really critical and core to me. And, and what I care about today is like trying to make more recovery friendly workspaces, trying to make more mental health policies come to life and just open that door from employer to employee to be able to have these conversations. So often the last place someone is showing up is work. And what if we could, you know, make it a more open conversation for managers when they ask, how's it going at the start of the one-on-one? -on -one? It's really a like, how are you? You know, how are you really doing? How's the balance? This work from home life, all these things going on, right? Like, have you touched in on a real, true heart to heart basis with your employee? And have you been vulnerable with your staff um, about how you're doing and be able to open that door that it's okay to talk about the tough stuff in life, the things that are going on in your immediate family and um, this level of vulnerability inside the workplace is, I think, really what's going to change the future for all of us and how we're able to bring our full selves to work and to get the help we need when we need it. Um, the last area from Dope is is really for nonprofits working in the space. I am such a big proponent that I don't need to recreate the wheel. There are amazing people working on these issues. So for 2021, our beneficiary is the She Recovers Foundation for women that are in or seeking recovery. Uh, they are amazing. It's a great... Um, you know, many paths to recovery for people, but at the core is community. And so they're a really, really great community. We donate a portion of every single sale of dope to She Recovers, which is in excess of, of $20,000 already this year, which is super exciting.
That's amazing. How do you find this uh, has impacted the culture at Dope? Like, I'm just, so if I think I'm young and I'm going to go work at a startup, because if I'm not mistaken, I was doing some research and you tried to create a culture that doesn't include drinking or other drugs or other things, right? That's what, that's mm -hmm. one of the tenets. But if I'm young, I want to join a startup. Well, I don't, I don't really get why I can't have drinks at a company party. It doesn't make sense to me. So what's the, what's the, what's the end result? Is it, has it attracted talent? Has it pushed talent away? Has it attracted potentially the right people that you want to work with? I'm mm -hmm. curious what the, the, the actual implication is for a company that champions this. Yeah. I mean, I think at the core of any authentic mission-driven company, you want to have employees that are super bought in on what the mission is, right? You want to have employees that are like living and breathing it to some regard, or at least are super passionate um, in understanding the value of what you're trying to do. So for me, the idea that what we do would push anyone away is certainly like they probably shouldn't work here because it's a big part well, of the impact good. we're trying that's to have good, elsewhere. It's, it's a good takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, for us in, in my eyes and, and through our journey with dope, even from being a brick and mortar storefront, you know, having to interview more regularly, right. To get hourly staff working in the stores to now being a remote company with a, you know, social media side, we've got uh, customer support. And then obviously like the director roles on operations and, and marketing. Um, it has helped immensely, not only to attract the best talent, uh, but to retain them, you know, to make them feel like they are able to be their full selves at work. They're able to talk about what's really going on. Uh, we have a mental health Monday Slack channel where we all share one high and one low from the last week. And like, I keep that real. Like I really share yeah. with my staff when something's not going right and I'm feeling out of balance or I'm feeling super anxious or something else is happening. And it's not a place of, uh, oh, feel sorry for me. And it's not a place of, oh, I'm weak and I'm not able to run the company now. It's like, I'm in touch with what's going on and here's what, you know, what I'm doing about it. And it's okay. Yeah. Those, those, I think those moments when I've been able to share something going on with my life, um, have really opened the door for them to share. So we have a number of employees that are in recovery, which is awesome. And uh, again, I think there are some companies in this old school mentality that say they would be an at risk employee, you know, um, some, you know, with sober dates in 2020 even, and it's, it's like, and in 2021, and I'm here for it. You know, I want to be supportive. I want to be that employer that can be there even if um, people are looking to get into recovery for the first time or relapse and need to get back on the right track. Pushing them away is a disservice to humanity. You know, the, someone struggling in your company at that moment is when they need you the most to say and to see through the issue and see that there's someone, a human struggling with something and that you have an opportunity to help. So uh, for employers out there, like we did share a policy on our mental health policy, like a template version of the mental health policies on our blog. So that's something great to look at. There's also recovery friendly workplace initiatives in I think 13 states now. So really cool to see these structured ways of showing how real the problem is, how pervasive it is, what cost it's really having to employers to ignore it, you know, loss of productivity, et cetera, uh, turnover rates, all of this, um, and, and things, actionable things you can really do to change those, um, change those ways inside your company. But it's like you said, it has to be a culture change the decision to not have alcohol at client events or you know when we did a, a client event in san francisco and it was like we had a mocktail bar we had a bunch of fun mocktails all with cool dope names and stuff and then um had kombucha there and like the whole thing so there's fun ways to to bring that around and it's very important even for companies who do allow alcohol to be present you know at events really try to not make it the focus, you know, really think about how isolating that is yeah. for someone who's struggling um, to feel like they need to drink or they need to be a part of this drinking activity to get the inside scoop. You know, that is, that is a really scary place for someone in early recovery. Now, I was just thinking through as you're, as you're describing the culture, I'm just thinking as to the reason why people do drink at company events. And it's because they don't have that rapport and they don't feel that connection with other people. So they drink to allow them to have this almost like this false sense of comfort, right? This, this mm -hmm. false, almost as this, this, you know, liquid courage, right? So if you have, if you have a cult, if you have a company culture that actually has people that feel like they can talk all the time and they know what people are going through, the highs, the lows, the bullshit, the good stuff, then all of a sudden it's like, you don't have to have a drink to talk to your best friend. Yeah. And that's, that's a kind of like, I'm not saying, listen, it's still work at the end of the day. And like, you know, I, I'm always a big fan of saying like, you know, work is a team, not a family. Like you are working together towards an objective, but like you can, you can have like friendship camaraderie there. That's more than just surface level.
if mm -hmm. you feel like you can be comfortable, you can speak your mind, you can say what's on your mind and you understand what other people are going through. And that alone is probably a healthier environment because I can only <laughs> think back to all the horrible things that have happened at company events, client events totally. that are alcohol related. Yeah. So and it's I had not a, a bad idea. Yeah. Um, an ex-boyfriend of mine in, in San Francisco, you know, telling me these stories of the drugs present at all the parties and it's, you know, it's superiors offering the drugs in the bathroom at the event. And it's like, wow, what a bad situation to be put in to feel yeah. like I have to accept this to to have his, you know, because if I say no, now he's going to think I'm going to rat on him or tell on him or man, it's just, it's such a bad cycle and it's very pervasive. You know, well, the second you, as an employer, as an owner of a business, second you start to hear or see some of those behaviors, I mean, cutting it off is like the only way you're going to get it to stop because it really starts to, I mean, you're creating more addictions down the road, but you know, it really starts to, um, propel itself. So it's really important, I think, to just be more considerate with how you're trying to shape your company culture. And it's like you said, the idea that you need the alcohol to bond or to hang out. The friendships that I have today, like work is one thing, right? But it's a parallel of like the friendships I have today are so much more meaningful than the friendships that I had when I was drinking. I maybe had more yeah friends, quote air quotes here, right? Acquaintances, drinking buddies. I had more plentiful, but we weren't really friends. Like when we were together, we were talking about what we were drinking or we were talking about just BS, you know, nothing. Yeah. And now it's like the time you spend with your friends, uh, you know, in recovery or, or those who just choose to drink less. It's like really much deeper relationship. And I find that same thing is, is coming true in the workplace. Yeah. Let's keep going um, down your story because there's a, there's a couple other points. Like the, the Shark Tank is is a, is a good story. I want to I want to understand <laughs> what your experience was with that. Um, even like the the pivot from brick and mortar to e-commerce. So so what's yeah. next in in the dope um, in the dope timeline? Dope story. You you now have your first brick and mortar. You've moved to Las Vegas, uh, the Las Vegas Strip. You're selling there. Um, let's keep going from that. Yeah. Point. Even pre-selling in Las Vegas, we actually went on Shark Tank to raise funds for that uh, Vegas store. So Shark Tank came in, um, it was May of 2018. So I'm uh, just over a year into the business and Shark Tank was coming to town with a casting call. I don't know anybody in show business, <laughs> similar with like, I don't know any entrepreneurs. Uh, definitely don't have any famous relatives to get me onto the show. And so I went to an open casting call and sat on a curb with like 500 other people all waiting to go in and shoot their shot. And you get like 90 seconds to pitch why you're going to be the most amazing entrepreneur for this and um, made it through that first round and on and on. It would become a six month ordeal uh, through all these video submissions and phone calls and um, information to be provided, contracts to sign. I was like pre-understanding how important a lawyer was. So I just like, okay, <laughs> I mean, it's Shark Tank. I was like, I guess I just have to sign this. You know, if I want to be on the show, they're not going to negotiate with me, but uh, always negotiate is my takeaway there. You can always negotiate a contract. Um, so wish I had read that, but everything worked out just fine. And I was chosen to film for the show in September of 2018. Another amazing like alignment with recovery it filmed like the day after I need to look up the exact date because it was either day after or day before, but the day after my three year sobriety anniversary. So um, really cool, like alignment of like, you're doing the right thing. You know, sobriety kept giving me these little reminders yeah. that like, look, another year in and like this awesome freaking stuff is happening, like keep going. So I uh, went on the show. I mean, I had an amazing time going through that process and so cool to get to uh, shoot my shot to, you know, these amazing people who could dramatically change my life. Um, th through the ordeal, you know, I had practiced like crazy. Like I have never, you know, I told you I was a little over the top in school. You'd think I was taking like the <laughs> SAT again. Cause I had like flashcards with all my business numbers on it. Like, you know, cogs and this and profit, nothing up all the year's sales. Like, I mean, just everything like to the deepest levels that I could. I probably had like 50 flashcards and I memorized them all by the time I went to film. So that and my pitch, I was just so prepared that I was not going to get caught off guard as the entrepreneur up there going like, well, I don't know. I think it's around blank or whatever. I was like super sharp. So luckily, thanks to that, I did have some amazing stuff you know, feedback from the sharks around my um, skills as an operator. Barbara Corcoran said I was the most sophisticated store owner she'd ever met. And um and yeah, Mark Cuban said, you know, everything about this says it's amazing. But then the conversation turned into like cookie dough is not healthy and the obesity epidemic. And like I'm sitting there going, 
hey, and it's cookie dough. Like it's dessert. You know, it's it's supposed to be yeah. a snack. It's you know? supposed, it's to, supposed to, be, to be. It's not. It's not meant to solve the obesity epidemic. It's meant to just be fun 100%. after dinner. <laughs> Solving like the yeah. mental health epidemic. Like take a moment, have some self care. You know, treat yourself. You're doing. You're doing all. The, you're doing that already. You're doing. You're already yeah. doing that. Like how many things can you take out of cookie dough? You already yeah. are solving mental health. You're solving addiction. <laughs> you don't have to solve obesity at the same time. Like that can be someone else's. <laughs> yeah. Like can we just share this at all? Or do I get yeah. all the weight on my shoulders? So yeah, it was a little, uh, you know, almost like, almost like built for TV. Cause like there was Twitter was like yeah. blowing up afterwards. Like, what are you talking about? This was the best pitch I've ever seen in shark tank. Like we had a number of people tweeting that like, this is the best we've ever seen. How did she not get a deal? And like, look at all these other, you know, people bringing up other sweets companies that they'd invested in. So, um, it was, it was really jarring. I, kept my cool in there. You know, I was like, thank you guys so much. I wish I was hugging one of you, but thanks for letting me, you know, you get to hug when you make a deal or whatever, but thanks for letting me come up here and, um, turned around, like waved, clicked my heels. And then I was like, gonna walk down the, uh, the hallway and I just lost it. Like the camera is like right here, like six inches in front of you. And I just totally broke down. You don't see this on TV. Like, thank you editors. You guys cut all this out, but full emotional, like, cliff dive you know you just go from like thinking one thing is going to happen and like it's going pretty well they're saying all this nice stuff and then it's like i'm out i'm out i'm out i'm out i was like oh my god like it didn't end the way i thought and um i took a mental health day the next day you know i told my staff you know any of them say anything when they saw you crying the um sharks yeah did they hear you did they see did they say the second you turn and start walking those doors close like right behind you and the oh, camera okay. again is like right in front of my face and I'm walking towards them as I start to break down and then I get through the back doors and like just started like hyperventilating, you know, like really trying to get the camera out of my okay. face. Like that escalates it a lot because you're just like, I just like, you know, I just kept saying like, I just need a minute. I just need a minute. You know, you just want to be able to regroup. Um, But they like want to capture it all. And I was so prepared. I'm like, okay, this is going to happen. I'm going to be the girl sobbing in the Shark Tank trailer, but thank goodness you know they didn't they didn't air that so no, i but, really well, left i, I don't think they positive. wanted to make an example out of somebody who who's already doing incredible work so um that it wasn't like you were the the bad option it's so that's fine yeah. um <laughs> so okay so incredible shark tech experience and obviously um that probably that probably did get some exposure but all this all this all the growth uh the pivot to econ none of that's funded you're still you are you still bootstrapped at this point no, so I had gotten funding um, two okay. months after filming. I found another investor and got funding for the Vegas store. So I opened that in March of uh, 2019, which was luckily like it wound up being three months before I got the notice that we were going to air. We aired in May. Um, so okay. very fortunate that it, the store was open by the time we aired because so many people like go to check you out and see like, oh, are they still around, yeah. you know? But we really weren't so focused on e-commerce at the time. You know, all of 2019, we sold $50,000 online. Um, Late 2019 and, you know, 2019 ended 1.2 million for the business. So you can see most of it was in our brick and mortar focus. Um, My husband joined the company in late 2019. Great like ops and finance brain. And he's like, Kelsey, 2020 needs to be the year of focus. And we sort of looked at all these things. You know, I like I said in the beginning, I was sort of like, I'll sell wherever I can sell. Right. So we were Mm -hmm. uh, Hilton Union Square. You'd find us in the lobby of that hotel. Like we were doing catering. So a little bit of wholesale stuff, catering, a little bit of e-commerce and then the stores. So it's like, how can we refine all this down? And um, he, you know, with all of us look kind of weighing these options, even looking at franchising and, you know, whatnot, e-commerce just made the most sense to focus on, which would be like the best decision ever, knowing what would happen in 2020, um, not knowing what would happen in 2020, rather, you know, being able to have that uh, that decision come to light gave us the ramp time we needed to get the retention marketing in place and get the ads started and really start to optimize the site. We moved over to Shopify. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. HubSpot is the leading business CRM. Now, creating a legacy business starts with investing in sustainable, scalable tools. HubSpot is the number one CRM for starting, growing, and scaling businesses. With the HubSpot CRM, you have a purpose-built solution that's tailored to your business and your business alone. Now, I've used HubSpot for many years now, but just this year, they're releasing some new features. These are some of the ones that I'm definitely most excited about. So first new feature is called Business Units. So Business Units allow you to confidently manage contacts, marketing, and sales assets and settings across multiple brands. 
which means clearer insights to empower whatever it is you're trying to do. There's also new admin features like permissions, templates, and OKTA integration, which makes it easier than ever to add, remove, and edit users, give them the proper permissions as needed. And lastly, a new HubSpot feature that's rolling out is called Sandboxes. So with Sandboxes, all admins have access to production-like accounts, allowing them to test, iterate, and experiment with new go-to-market strategies, campaigns, before they actually push them live. This is a game changer because now you can actually see what works in this Sandbox environment, very similar to what a developer would do in a pre-prod or a testing environment. If you want to learn all about HubSpot's latest features, some of the new features I just spoke about, you can customize your CRM platform as well as learn about all these new features and all the old legacy features as well at HubSpot.com. Get all those engines going and uh, just absolutely crazy sales for us um, to go from 30 boxes a month in November of 2019 to 3,000 a week in April 2020. Uh, real glow up yeah <laughs> yeah that's yeah. that's insane and you manage that no problem like you you didn't have supply chain it like you could staff up like i'm sure you had some, some <laughs> lights, like, but... no problem was maybe a little far like i am literally yeah. i have ptsd over this period of my life you know it was very trying you know and it it is sometimes people ask like what's entrepreneurship to you and it's like entrepreneurship is those months of of that scale and and being so committed to what you've created that like there's nothing that will stop you like you will find a way to make it happen um is was helping through on the operations front right so we were doing graveyard shifts yeah. at the store and we're both having to still run the business during the day but going to these graveyard shifts at night and one time is was literally gone for i think it was like 38 hours straight no sleep because it was graveyard and someone didn't show up for yeah. the the shift at the store during the day like you just have all these all these pieces running together. And then the pandemic would happen, you know, in mid-March, getting our notice that we had to shut down. So we had 12 hours notice to move our entire, we were doing all of our production, all of our packing graveyard while the store was shut. And now that the store was, it's in a casino part of a hotel, right? So they were going to be shutting it down. 12 hours notice to find another kitchen, get a U-Haul, load everything we can think that we might need for the undetermined future that is before us. You know, no one knew how long the shutdown was going to last. So we try to get everything, you know, and load it up into a U-Haul. And I mean, just pure madness. We, we It is a crazy time to look back on, but it's that, that grit and grind and determination yeah. that you're going to make it happen. You know, there's just nothing that will stop me from making dope successful and, and that, that's how I'm here today. Yeah. And, and then let's, let's move into e-commerce. Cause you, you handled like, again, looking, looking back, I'm sure it was stressful, but it looks, it looks graceful. It, it, it looks graceful you. <laughs> because you made the pivot and you're success. So what was the e-commerce play? Um, how did you manage that? Yeah. Well, for one, we had a lot of learnings from what was, I suppose, three years at the time of, um, you know, two and a half years at the time of, learnings from what people liked and what they said in the stores and what questions do they ask most often. And so when I started to develop our e-commerce strategy and, and the website itself, right, it was like, okay, these are the top four flavors we have. Like, let's kit those, you know, operation side, like, let's make it more simple to have a kitted set. So we just did two sizes, four flavors, and would do those kits in the beginning, um, trying to keep it as streamlined as we could, you know, those common questions that we'd get from customers, we got to really make that clear on the site. Um, so tons of learnings there and then really moving into paid ads to try and grow the acquisition um, of new customers. So uh, that was the main focus for the strategy on on e-commerce growth components. Um, getting our retention marketing was another thing that was like, you can do everything you want to do to keep the hamster wheel going of new customer acquisition. But if you have this like leaky funnel where the customers aren't coming back to buy again, it's a very expensive game to play. So um, we had some great success with the ads, definitely fueled through the pandemic, you know. April yeah, of 2020, we were getting like a 6X ROAS on her Facebook ad account. Uh, <laughs> unheard of, right? Unheard of, especially in our industry. So um, just amazing like results through that time. And then it's really about uh, continuing, right? Once you got to that, that, you know, just absolute crazy peak from January through April, it was like more than doubling our sales every single month. Um, once we hit sort of this 400, $500,000 mark, it was like, okay, how are we going to keep these monthly sales, um, steady? And the retention marketing was a huge part of that. But, you know, thankfully through all the scaling and growing, moving to a co-packer fulfillment center, you know, all those jumps happened through, 
through 2020, uh, while the supply chain world was just crazy with the pandemic as well. Uh, we started a co-packer without even physically being able to go and visit because of COVID. It was shut down. So I taught someone how to make my oh product my through FaceTime. Um, <laughs> just craziness, you know, but we wound up, yeah, doing 2.5 million online in 2020, um, 200,000 uh, in brick and mortar and made the decision when things reopened uh, that the store was not going to be the right path for us anymore and closed down the brick and mortar business. It was down 82% year over year. And, you know, we're having that on one hand while looking at these crazy e-commerce numbers. And uh, though the emotion side, right, as a founder, you're always so emotionally drawn to what you've created. I mean, blood, sweat and tears. I was like out here to oversee yeah. the construction of the store from the ground up. And uh, it was just so beautiful. And I loved it. But it's like, boom, like, ignore that set your emotions aside let's look at the numbers does it make sense and yeah made the decision to to close that store and it was the best decision we could have made and now gearing up for our launch into retail um later this year and we're just so excited by this opportunity to continue with another great scale opportunity um with what i've learned from all these different business channels and ways to run run a food business e-commerce and and retail is going to make the most sense for us what do what is your number one recommendation for because I'll, I'll tell you where this question is coming from. So you've pivoted multiple times. You've gone through multiple things. You've eventually been successful at most. And, and you just attribute it to, okay, if I love this and I'm passionate and the grit and the grind and the perseverance and tenacity, um, I'm going to figure it out. But when you are starting something new, when you first had to figure out e-commerce, how did you figure it out? What, are the, what is the mindset, the steps you take? Where do you go to learn? Because mm -hmm. that is the most important skill I think that anybody can pick up on. Yeah. And I mean, through all of the things that we've learned, right. And we're going through it again now, going into retail, a new channel to bring up and like, wow, distribution and like all these contracts yeah. and what's this going to be like and trying to be safe on it. There's some big, like, um, some big cost risks you run into here, uh, that have put companies under going out too far into retail. So yeah, I think for me, it's a tip I have for anybody starting a business or running one. I never say no to an introduction. If anybody thinks I should meet somebody else, you know, along the way, someone says, oh, you should meet so-and-so. And you're like, gosh, I don't know, like their company is whatever, or like, I don't know, that doesn't seem related. Take it, you know, just take it. I take 15 minute introduction calls and it really has changed the game. There's been some introductions that I otherwise would have passed up on face value. And they've just had that perfect person that they knew you should meet or the investor that was just perfect to line up at the right time. So yeah, never say no to an introduction. Um, another thing is hire for what you suck at. So if you're going into something new and you do have the capacity to hire or contract like a consultant in that space, highly recommend it. You can learn an incredible amount in a rather short period of time from a consultant who can come in and give you the rundown on what, what it's like to scale into this, this new arena. Um, there's more content coming out, particularly around D2C, uh, even, uh, is, has, you know, this on his to-do list aside from us running the company, but to create, a you know, crash course and consultancy for people trying to get going in e-commerce. Cause it is just so much knowledge that was packed into our last year and a half. Um, we want to be able to pass that on to other people to learn, but, you know, reaching out, never be afraid to ask for, uh, 15 minutes on someone's calendar on LinkedIn. I did a lot of that in the beginning would just reach out and say, love what you've built. You know, I have five questions. If I could just get 10 minutes of your time, um, I'll meet you wherever, you know, back when in-person things were doing and like an SF, I was yeah. literally be like, anywhere you're going to be, are you going to be walking between two meetings at this time? Like I'll come and meet I'll you be, at I'll that block. There. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like that. So yeah, just really always reaching out, try to get connected. Um, there's great like CEO networks, even for seed stage companies. Um, shout out to One World. I'm still a part of a um, a CEO network for my stage. And it's amazingly helpful to just be with other entrepreneurs who, though in very different industries, sometimes we all have such similar issues we're facing. Like running a business is still mm -hmm. structurally a lot of the same things you're going to run up against. And I've, I've had great success with that. So getting a little cohort, a network of other CEOs that um, you can share and learn from is, is huge too. Amazing. Okay. I want to ask some rapid fire career questions, uh, professional life lesson questions. Um, but first, uh, where do people connect with you um, if they want to reach out? Where do people uh, go find information on Dope? What's the website, socials, all of that? Love it. Yes. Uh, first things first, if you're hungry and you want some cookie dough, <laughs> go to dope.com. It's D-O-U-G-H-P. 
it's like dough with a P on the end.com. We're at dope on TikTok. Um, I'm sorry, at eat dope on TikTok. We're at dope on Facebook and Instagram. Um, hit us up. We're very active on social, real, uh, awesome people from my team running those accounts now. So say hello to Bella and, and the crew. So, um, definitely get connected there. And then with me personally, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So Kelsey Moreira, it's more IRA, M-O-R-E-I-R-A. Um, yeah, hit me up. I got complicated Amazing. words. I have to spell everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Test, testament to the uh, to the, the the horrible intro that I'll have to redo. It should be like this cut. You should do the skirt, like a rewind sound yeah. or something. Yeah, I know. I, I have I have an idea already how I'm going to oh, edit this funny. because I can't pronounce anything. <laughs> no, that's very good. Awesome. Um, okay, so let's go through a couple quick rapid fire. Um, you mentioned a few challenges in your career, uh, professional, personal. What was the number one that sticks out in your head, the biggest challenge, and how did you overcome it? Mm, the biggest challenge I faced. I mean, yeah, this getting sober, right? Like, I mean, it was it was affecting it's all part of that personal professional is so blended these days. So definitely this decision to say enough's enough and get sober and find the courage to like, you know, share that with my employer and, and be able to go on from there. Um, the beginning is really hard. So it, it took a lot to try and overcome that and say, let's do something different here. <laughs> and it affects every part of your life, but just committed and, and went through it. Amazing. Um, and, and that's a, that's a good one. That's not, that's something that, um, not everybody's comfortable talking about about how difficult it is. So I hope somebody mm -hmm. listening takes that to heart and and feels like it's okay because I don't think I've ever had this conversation, this topic on the show before. So uh, very good. Um, one person who had an incredible impact on your life. I know there's probably been a few, but you have to pick one. Mm. And uh, what did they teach you? I got it. Um, Elizabeth Witherow is my nana. Um, it's my dad's mom and. Uh, she was just an incredible human for our family, like the rock of our family. And she was 21 years sober when she passed away. So getting to see me at um, one year sober before passing. And she was that first person, that, you know, second person maybe that I called that morning after uh, deciding, you know, I wanted to get sober and encouraged me to go find an AA meeting and was just so supportive. And along the whole journey to the decision to get sober, you know, like I talked about, um, it takes so many things to finally get there. And, you know, number of letters from her over the years saying how concerned she was and that she thought there'd be a better path for me. And, um, yeah, she's just amazing. She was such a, a light and joy in our life. So definitely my Nana. A book or a podcast that you'd recommend somebody go check out. You know, I always recommend this book because it led me to starting dope, uh, kind of in the All beginning right, stages of, of the idea, right? Kind of boiling in my head. And I read the book, You Are a Badass uh, by Jen Sincero. Uh, it's bright yellow cover, very popular a few years back. And um, just a great book, really changed up the mindset around like risk taking and, um, you know, this idea that you have the propensity to create wealth if you just are focused on it and letting yourself fully, uh, yeah, dedicate your your time and energy towards it you will be able to create and sustain, you know, a life reassessing risk. Amazing. Um, what, uh, what would be one thing that you would tell your 20 year old self? God, yeah. Give it up already with the alcohol. You know, I think it was at the core of it, right. It's like, um, go back to therapy, <laughs> work through stuff. Childhood issues don't mm -hmm. go away. Even when you get sober, um, many people think like, okay, that's the trick, right? If I just stop drinking, everything's fine. But there's always a reason why you're drinking. And I think at 20, I was just really struggling with this desire to fit in and not, not having that confidence that I have today to say, I'm awesome. I love myself. And if someone wants to hang out with me, cool. And if they don't, cool, you know, like that's going to be okay. And it's hard in those younger years to feel that confidence to just be sure that you are enough. You have enough to offer the world. And yeah, 20 year old Kelsey needed to be told she was enough. What does success mean to you? This question is interesting. It like changes over the years because some people are like, oh, do you think you're successful now? You know? And so I really feel like there is no end to me. Like there is no final success point. So success has to be about the journey. Success has to be how much are you enjoying today? 
Uh, I've made this life wrap around where I get to talk about cookie dough, mental health and addiction recovery every day. Like that's freaking cool. And it's so hard to feel, to not feel like, oh, I'll be successful when blank happens. But instead like this is success, you know, today is success. So it is, um, uh, just kind of a reframing, I think for people to consider success as, uh, the journey itself, what you're learning. Amazing. That's perfect. That's all I got. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks (laughs) for having me. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show, 
Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 